Hello, uh, I'm Derek Wheatley, <laughs> why was the pause there, and welcome to episode 11 of the Weekly Weekly Podcast. Thank you for tuning in as always, um, thank you for your support and showing us some support on Saturday night when we did our little live thing, which I I do for about 20 minutes, and I look back and I, and I realise I didn't actually say anything in that, but it's good crack because people get involved and I enjoy that, you know. Um, I did this. I made the same mistake again of of basically making notes on one copy and uh, then writing kind of condensed notes on another copy. I got carried away in the sunshine last week and I was sitting out in the garden and I just wrote too much. And I reckon I probably wrote uh, this full episode and maybe half of the next episode because there's no chance of me fitting it all in. Um, I hope everybody's doing all right in the lockdown. It has been extended, as everybody knows, um, until May. Uh, I don't think I was chatting to Anne about this, and I don't think I when I when we found out about it, I I didn't panic about it as such. It's nice to have a timeline again. I, I was a video called my uh, my BFF last night, Josh, and we were chatting about it. Um, I'm not panicking. We still don't know. Like fifth of May seems an unlikely endpoint, but to have something in the distance where you can kind of grasp onto, I suppose, is something that helps me mentally anyway um i don't know about all of you i hope it does but we'll keep going uh listen i got a question this week from jared um i'm loving the film questions everybody knows he get it's a two-parter i will answer the first part here and then if i don't get a chance later on in the podcast i'll answer the second part in the next episode he asked me about my favourite uh, English language directors and then foreign language directors. And um, I, it was a great question. So I'm going to answer the English part first. I'm going to run through four directors. I didn't got, really want to get carried away. I'm going to run through four directors. And what I'm going to do is at the end of that, I'm going to give five films of their filmography that you, you know, that I would recommend you to watch. It was very hard on some of these directors because I love them to just break it down into five, but I'll run through them. So the first one I, I put down was Robert Altman. Um, He's a great director. He's made many great films. He was considered a maverick in, in Hollywood. He was one. He was part of the new the new Hollywood era of Coppola. Um, oh, man, what's the dude's name? Well, Warren Beatty actually would be part of that. Uh, Arthur Hiller, um, those kind of people who... Who changed Hollywood? I think Bonnie and Clyde was really the first new Hollywood film that came out, and it kind of went from there. And um, there was some obviously some great films that ran into the seventies. Then uh, he was very naturalistic style. He he had this. Uh, he he covered many genres, but he had this satirical tone. Uh, there was always a little thread of comedy going through it. There was maybe one or two exceptions to that. That cold day in the park isn't exactly a comedy, but it's uh, it's definitely a drama, psychological kind of drama. He he was he always had once he got past his first few films he had ensemble cast then, um and it was just you look through cast lists of his films from maybe the, later in the seventies maybe from Nashville actually nineteen seventy five film ran right through till till his final uh, his final films really, um he he developed this system actually I was only looking up this up the other day, um as a kind of research for this but he said he developed a multi track recording technique. And it allowed overlapping dialogue, which is 
when you first hear it, it's very disorientating. But what it did was allowed that, like I was saying, the naturalistic approach that he had, where people in real life, in in crowded situations, everybody's talking, and he he developed this um, recording technique that allowed those voices, each of them, to be heard. So that's you know a sense of his how 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 maverick he was. He he allowed kind of a more natural and kind of complex experience for viewers through those techniques that he used. He was he was really into like highly mobile camera work and zooms. He used them to great effect. There's a scene in the player actually at the his, the opening scene of the player where he, where it's a um, just one shot take. I, I don't know how long it runs for, but it's just it's it's um, Tim Robbins in it and it's just class. It's so well done. Um, it's one of the better uh, of of like single takes. You, you will see. Uh, the five films that I've picked for him uh, would be Mash, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is just an incredible revisionist western, and uh, Nashville, which is probably his best film, The Player, which I mentioned before, and Shortcuts, which is um, a film based on eight short stories and one poem uh, by Raymond Carver, who actually who I actually talked about on Saturday in the in the live um, Facebook thing. Uh, second up would be Paul Thomas Anderson, who was hugely influ- influenced by Altman. He was big on his ensemble cast as well, and you will see it. In, actually, he, he in his first couple of films, um, Hard Eight is his first film, which is great, but when he did Boogie Nights and he did Magnolia, the, the very Altman-esque, the, the, the casts you'll see were just, you know, these incredible actors. Now, he did keep some actors um, through different projects which which is a great um way of working really because then it obviously forms a bond between director and actor and a level of trust that they, that they would have with each other i said trust there with a h i, I meant trust but uh yeah he he um sometimes he's he's a great director in the sense that sometimes he looks like he's not doing much with his direction on the surface but when you look into it how much and how subtle how much he's doing and how subtle he actually is with what he's doing um it, and it runs a lot deeper than than it seems um he could direct small scenes uh, or grandiose scenes you know with with equal skill it's he's v- like he's so versatile um when i run through his films you'll you'll see now in a second uh it's, he's obviously still working he's he's i think he's in his late 40s so he's still uh, plugging away and he's so much great stuff to come i've no doubt about that um the fact that he writes all his screenplays as well. Now, they're not all original screenplays, but a uh, uh, good few of them are. And the, f- the fact that he writes them, uh, it gives him the freedom to play around with different techniques is what he's doing direction-wise because there's no uh, directions within the script um, from screenwriters that they wanted to, to see and wanted the director to do. If you watch the, the skill, the risk and the, the bit of skill he uses in the middle of of Magnolia... A big ensemble drama, if you haven't seen it, but there's one particular piece of music he uses by Amy Mann. Uh, Amy Mann was it was a um, or is a songwriter, but she he was listening to her music when he was writing Magnolia, and he said it, he was so inspired by by her um, by her songs that he wanted to put uh, you know something by her into the film. Obviously, the soundtrack is is full of her songs, but actually make her song a huge part of the film. So what he does in the middle of it, he has a song Wise Up playing, which is a great song. He has it playing in the background, but every character, like Tom Cruise is in the film, Julianne Moore's in the film, uh, Philip Baker Hall's in the film, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in the film, they're all singing the song. 
Now, it sounds, it's not a musical moment. They're not all together. They're in separate places, separate locations within the film, wherever they're living. It's all set in, in L.A. And they're just just voicing, they're, they're singing softly to the songs, and one's in a car, one of them's in a, a kitchen, one of them's wherever. It's incredible. If you first time you see it, you're kind of, it does throw you off a bit, but it's the risk he takes. He was talking to Larry King afterwards. I think it was Larry King he was speaking to, but he was speaking to... Uh, one of the one of, like whether it was Letterman King whoever it was, and he said if that was one film he one scene he'd like to take out was that scene and for me, oh god that would be would have been a terrible move on his part because it's such a great scene and a great risk to take that that worked. His five films that I would recommend would be Magnolia, There Will Be Blood obviously, The Master obviously, uh, Boogie Nights. And Phantom Thread, which was incredible film as well, with Day Lewis too, with Day Lewis there that were just great. The next film has to, the uh, next director I should say has to be Alfred Hitchcock because, inarguably, the director who had the single greatest influence on the thriller and horror genre, um, he made the first British talkie actually with blackmail, which is kind of a little known fact that he he was that far back. I think he made a lot of silent movies before it, like The Lodger and things like that, but he he made uh, the first British talkie. Um, he he uses he used one of the first people to use, or maybe the first person to use, camera movements to mimic person's gaze. So, it's the POV style that he used. That's very effective, obviously, in horror films, and it's used to this day as is as are his framing shots that he used. So, if you think of Tippy Hedren, I can never say her second name, Hedren. Uh, if you think of her in the uh, in the birds, and she's sit- at one point she's in the attic or an upstairs room, the camera zooms right in on her as the birds are coming for her, and it's so it really heightens the tension in the first place. But when it's actually happening, the bird the attack, it's so much worse because you're right in, and you can feel that terror coming from her, and the tension kind of ratchets up, uh, ratchets. And that's another. I keep picking words that I can't really pronounce this morning. It's early. What time is it? It's. Uh, 7.15, yeah. Um, but it's a good time to do it because my head is kind of awake. Um, my tongue isn't awake, so that's why I can't pronounce words. But yeah, he... he um, if you think of the shower scene, actually, that's probably a better example of where Jeanette Lee is showering in the in the, in the motel in Psycho. And you, as, as she's being murdered, that's not a spoiler, can't be a spoiler. Uh, people don't know that now. She... You don't see the knife, you see a shadow to the right and then you just see her face in, in, in the terror on her face there's a whole film actually you can go and look at it it came out a couple of years ago about that shot uh, and how he did it that's very interesting actually um and then you know it's a whole style of his own that he had and the people copied hitchcockian like i said altman-esque these lads these these guys have words um named after their style uh which is I suppose it says a lot, really. So the five ones that I picked for him would be, and this is so hard considering his filmography, I picked Strangers on a Train, Rear Window, Vertigo, The Birds, and Rebecca, which is a slightly different one for him, but it's I really liked it. Um, it's, it's the only film he directed that won a Best Picture. Uh, he never won a Best Director at the Oscars, which is kind of mad, really. Um, so the fourth director... And you know what film's going to be mentioned in a minute because I'm on a roll with this film. But it's Sidley Lumet. I suppose if he was if he was French, it'd be Sidley Lumet. But it's L-U-M-E-T. It's pronounced Lumet. 
a very prolific, one of the first TV directors that was successfully moved to, to film directing. Um, he was a strong director of actors. That was one thing. All the actors loved working with him and he worked with pretty much all the greats. And that says so much about a director that they'll keep coming back um, or that they want to work with him because maybe they've spoken to another actor who said he's a great act- uh, director to work with. He was very political and uh, he he very social conscious was conscience was high. And I think, you know, I talk about, you know, um, society reflected back on us in film. And I think he was one of the greatest for that, that social realism. Uh, he he insisted on collaborating and sharing ideas with actors and the writers and the technicians and everybody on the film. He insisted on a big communal group um, that everybody was sharing ideas for the good of the project. And there was no egotism. It was just he was there to make the best film he could. And I love that. I love the idea that like Henry Fonda, who, who, who talked about him, just said he was a master of his craft like he had such control of his of of what he was doing that he was just a master of his craft he's not as mentioned as maybe the people have mentioned before and he's not as talked about as the great directors but if you actually look through the 50 plus films he's done uh he it, it's it's an incredible body of work he has and here we go his five films are 12 angry men you guessed it but yeah 12 angry men listen to these five films though 12 angry men serpico Dog Day Afternoon, Network, and The Verdict. The people he worked with in those films, like Pacino appears a couple of times, obviously Paul Newman's there, Henry Fonda's there, uh, Peter Finch is there in Network, uh, Faye Dunaway is there in Network. It's just, that's an incredible five, that's just five of his films. If you haven't seen them, like 12 Angry Men and Network are in my top five films of all time. My top five, so that's one what, is it one and two or one and three? It's definitely one and two. Is it one and two? Yeah, I think it's my first and second favorite films were directed by Silly Lumet. When I talk about foreign directors, whether it's later on or tomorrow's, there's a director in there who's uh, directed two films in my top ten. So it goes to show how, how much I think of these uh, directors. So, Ger, I hope that answers your English language directors. I would hope that um, I know you want to uh, watch more films. Um, even though you watch a lot of it as it is, but you want to be, you know, some recommendations. I hope the 20 films I named there, I'm sure you've seen quite a few of them, but I hope there's some that you haven't seen that you can uh, have a dip into. Um, so, yeah, the next uh, part of, let me see, I've done the, I've made the mistake with these two note- notebooks again, and now I'm trying to figure out where I am and what I'm at. Yeah, here, okay. <laughs> My, uh, I have a friend who asked me to to talk about this. It's It's a really... Uh, important subject and I I, ho- I like to think I would have got around to it eventually I'm going to give you basically it's something I had to research because I didn't want to mess it up really it's it's about how you help a loved one um, through their depression or their anxiety um, how you can help how you can sit with them um, how you can just be there for them. There's techniques and there's ways to support them. I'm just going to share with you. For the for some of the lists, I I like I said, I went online. Uh, I looked up. I got th- for this first part. It's the hse.ie. Uh, I'll talk about and expand on some points here. But um, so helping. This is about depression. Depression side of it. So helping a loved one with depression. 
uh, it did note, and I, I, this is certainly true, a friend or relative might spot that help is needed before the person who is suffering even realizes that there is a problem. It's the change in the patterns of behavior that people have, um, especially people we live with or people we're going out with. Um, it's it's easy to see changes in pattern, and what but what you need to look for, and, and if you don't need this information now and you think someone else does, please share it with them because it will definitely help people. The symptoms to spot of depression, we kind of know these things, but it's it's important to kind of keep reminding yourself. There's a loss of interest. Uh, I certainly would have lost a lot of interest in 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 certain things in my life back in when I was, uh, you know, the age when I when it all went down. Um, I won't use the break. See, I I I don't use the breakdown because the doctor told me don't use that expression, but it's important to use it, so I will use it. So for, for the breakdown, there's a loss, definitely a loss of interest in things that I was, um, you know, like things like uh, maybe sport or films or. Uh, you know going out things like that things that I was so used to doing there's a hopelessness that you will see within the person there's and and that that I know that sounds vague but it's it really isn't there, there's a there's a change in the way they speak about things and the way they're they carry themselves that it's it screams hopelessness and that they're kind of at the end of their their tether as such and they, they have no way uh, they they don't have the skills to get away from it, but you'll see it in them. Um, there's a slow slow slower speech, which can happen. It doesn't always happen, but slower in speech movement. I spoke before about my body changes, the way I, my my shoulder might um, shoulders might rise and my chest might kind of slip in in on itself. Uh, which means that my because my chest is coming in on itself, my spine is coming out at the back, so I'm there's almost like a, a bit of a hump um on my back there and people will notice that because it's like i try and disappear um try and get two or three inches off me so i can kind of blend in with the crowd a bit more because i'm tall ish there's a tiredness that we will see in people they're constantly just wrecked um and they, they may be napping during the day which they never do or they're yawning a lot more they're just you know sunk into the couch things like that Easy, again, easy enough to spot. Um, overeating or loss of appetite. I'm not sure if I uh, if I had either of those, but it's certainly a factor um, that I know um, happens because they always ask me, and they always did ask me, I should say, when I went to the psychiatrist or the psychologist about my eating uh, habits. So it's definitely patterns there again. Um, concentrating, trouble concentrating is another thing. Uh I would I'll use an example of reading I suppose because obviously you need to be concentrating on, on reading and my frustrations will come out if I'm reading a book and I can't concentrate and I just won't read I'll keep putting it back down and shifting around just I, I want to be able to read but I can't Um. then we have sleeping more than usual or, or sleep problems again it can work both ways I think I was having a lot of sleep problems and um, I was just lying there or and that's another thing it's 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 a contradictory thing where you're you you can't sleep so you try and read but then you can't read because your concentration levels are gone, and you know it it's just two things that are competing against each other a tug of war kind of thing and I I yeah I don't know people sleeping more that's that whole idea I guess of of sleeping in it in uh, at night or sleeping in in the morning I should say um and 
that if that's unusual for your partner or your um, son, daughter, whoever it is we're talking about, then maybe uh, have a chat with them or, you know, ask them if, if there is something that uh, you can do to help. Um, and speaking of tips, these are tips to help that, again, I've, I've expanded on them in a little bit. Um, that came from the HSE site again. Uh, let them know that you are there. Sorry, let them know that you care and are willing to listen whenever they're ready to talk. A huge thing is not to push on it um, and not to push at them. And because, you know, it's like that whole thing. If you push, they'll push back and it, nothing will come of it. Sorry, I'm just adjusting the mic there. There we go. I think that's right. Yeah. Um, don't make it about you. That's the whole thing. If you want to talk, it's for them. For It's for them to talk, not you talk at them. Uh, do not judge them and accept them as they are because that's the whole thing. Everybody who has experienced depression will be doing enough judging of themselves. I can, I can promise you that. So try not to judge them. Um, it's a whole point of educating yourself on this um, illness. So educate yourself don't judge them and accept them as they are and help them to stay active to eat good food and to get good night's sleep that's tough thing to do stay active offer to go for a walk with them um ask them to i don't i don't mean push them but ask them to cut the grass you know do let them don't let them sit there all day you know try and be um be the person that is going to be active with them so if they sit all there, uh, sit there all day, they're gonna maybe have problems sleeping at night. If they get some exercise, obviously it'll be easier. Good food obviously helps with mood in general. So if you're the one who, if they're the one that cooks, maybe give them some, uh, give them some time off and go and cook, but make sure it's some good, uh, healthy food with protein and fruit and veg and all that in it. It does help. Um, find support groups or therapy service that might help. My mother was great for that when she went online when she 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 wanted to educate herself on it. So she went online, she took it upon herself and wanted to find out ways to do it. So she would constantly give me um things that I could do. It wasn't in a way that was overbearing, it was in the correct way she did it. Um but yeah, find support groups for them or therapy services that, that might help. Uh stay in touch with them. This is obviously for a friend or that if you're not living with them. Send them messages, um, give them a phone call, try and get them to meet up with you. Call to their homes if they can't leave the house because that's another thing. They may not want to leave the house, but if you say to them, well, I can call over, they might be screaming out for that, but they may not ask you. So you can call over, uh, have a cup of tea with them, have a chat. It doesn't have to be about things like depression or, you know, heavy topics or anything like that it doesn't need to be it just needs to be someone who's there to listen and to also take their mind away from it so bring you know you're going with your own stories um it it takes them out of their pain for a brief moment if you're telling them a funny story what happened to you when you went to the shop the other day or when you were talking to another friend you know whatever it is it it'll it will distract them from their own uh, things and it'll give them something to think about when you uh, leave if you don't live with them that's very important stay in touch with them message them if they can only do messages i'm not great on the phone like i say loads of times if they can only do messages that's great just message them you know um ask them how they are tell them story as i said just distract them that's what you're if you really want to support them that's what you're there for um 
be patient. Um, it's very hard to trust. Uh, what's that? what's that? My writing sometimes is shocking, and it's not like I'm in a rush when I'm doing it. Um, it's very hard, but uh, trust me when I tell you that things are much harder for them. Actually, that's actually something I wrote <laughs> when I didn't. When I don't write things out of out of uh, websites, I write stuff that uh, have to be read six times before they're actually understood. Yeah, so sorry. It's very hard, but trust me when I tell you that things are much harder for them. So the patients, some of us have made amazing patients and some of us do not. But remember, it's not about you. Um, Remember, the reason that you are trying to do all this is for someone you love. So be patient with them. Even when you're speaking to them and you're trying to get stuff out of them and you're trying to be their therapist and their, their wife or their father or whatever your relationship is to them, you can be all of those things, but be patient and let them, because it will happen, you know, if you if all of these steps are followed and you love them and show you show them you love them, it will happen that they will open up and that's when your patience will pay off and that's when they will realize how important you are to them and how much they are loved. And that's the whole thing about um, depression is, is you want to feel loved because it, you do not love yourself in those times and if you don't love yourself you know you think nobody does love you so that i nearly got um, emotional there with that one but yeah it's be patient it's it's be there for them um if you are there uh, they will eventually begin to to reward they will eventually begin to do what you want them to do in the sense is get better um, and the last thing on it, and I, I want to say this to the person who asked me this question, and I want to say it to everybody who is there for a loved one, and the people who were there for me at my toughest times, take care of yourself, you know, look after your own mental health, because the last thing that's needed is for you to go down that rabbit hole of depression. You have to... This is probably more for the ones that are there day in, day out for that person, you know, will live with them. And is a, is a wife or a, a partner, a husband of that person. Look after yourself. You're doing amazing work. It goes like, it should go without saying, but it doesn't. Because a lot of people don't appreciate what you're doing. Because maybe they haven't been in that position. I appreciate what you're doing because I know people who have been in the position for me. Look after yourself, right? It's so important for you and for them. Because if if you're their, you know, kind of shining light, if you're the, if you're their uh, carer, if that's, you know, if that's, a, a, that's, people think that's too strong of a word. It's really not because it's what, at that moment, it's what you are. It's, it's, they are, they look at you as their carer. Um, and, you know, we think of that word as, as in different contexts. I see another word. Contexts. You are the carer for now, but please look after yourself and keep yourself active and keep eating good food yourself and getting good night's sleep. It's as important as uh, uh, for them as it is um, as it is for you. So please take care of yourselves as well, you know, and as I said, for the person who asked, look after yourself, right? And thank you for asking the question to bring this up. 
Fusion Training Center, Monksland at Lone. A place to train in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> I messed it up. Kickboxing, martial arts and CrossFit. A great atmosphere with experienced coaches and a real sense of community. If you want to join the team, find us on Facebook at Fusion Training Center or drop in for a chat. Fusion Training Center at Lone. Train like a warrior. I messed it up and I'm not going to edit it because I don't want to. Um, hopefully we'll be back soon. Missing it a lot. When, that was the first thing I thought of three weeks when I heard, you know, 5th of May. I was like, oh, no jiu-jitsu for three weeks for sure. Anyway, okay, so part two of what um, I was asked to talk about. Um, I looked this up again. I looked this up and then I'll speak of my own experiences. But this came from Greater Good Magazine from UC Berkeley. Um, That's not the name of a person, by the way. That's the name of them publishing place i don't know college maybe so it's about helping someone with anxiety um and I, there's seven points in it and as i said i'll talk a bit about um i'll expand on it a bit and uh, and uh we'll see where we get so the whole thing about it is like un- you have to understand how it manifests itself um understand that anxiety puts people into a threat situation sorry a threat sensitive mode it's easy to understand someone who is scared and acting out by being irritable or defensive and to find compassion for them. If you understand how the anxiety manifests itself in the person you can care about, or sorry, you care about, you can learn the patterns and be in a better place to help. So yeah, I, I you, it's about speaking again. So to, un, to for you to understand what makes someone anxious, obviously you've got to ask them what makes them anxious. Then you can go to some lengths to... Um, you couldn't. You're not going to eradicate it, but you can certainly um, ease the anxiety with them if you know what it is that's that's causing such an- anxiety in them. I've written very small. Some of this stuff you'll realize I'm reading because it'll sound scripted, but that's fine because it's an important topic that, that we're talking about, and you know I'm doing this for some people I know. Um, line up your support to their preferences. Um, ask someone the type of support they prefer rather than guessing. So I guess that's all about what what we talk about in, uh, you know, phone calls for me uh, make me anxious. So maybe don't call me. <laughs> um, obviously, certain people are allowed to. That's fine. But I'm talking more for the for the general, um, the general people in my in my phone um, contacts list. Uh, better to message me than call me that's just one example but there's obviously many other things like that um concrete practical support for those that want to be supported but still want to retain their independence maybe in a in a difficult situation like responding to an angry email so if if you take their support or sorry if you take their independence away from them that's not going to help them at all so if they get a say if some they get an angry email off somebody the response is not for you to turn around and write the the reply to that email. It's to help them through it. So help them to reply to the email, but still allow them their autonomy and independence. Emotional support is obviously huge in that. So it's it's kind of the idea of like, this is tough, but we love each other and we'll get through it kind of a thing. It's to make sure that they still know that they're a singular being and they're not just part of a team because otherwise when you're not there when you can't be there and they need to do something on their own they're not going to be able to do it if you if you're constantly helping them do, through everything if you understand that so be there but don't just take everything away from them um you just got to 
know the person and like the the first part says know what manifests the anxiety in them uh make use of any insight they have into their anxiety okay so you can help them spot when their anxiety uh uh driven patterns are occurring or reoccurring uh, if you're going to print out um sorry if you're going to point out to a relative or friend when they are becoming anxious make sure that this is something they are comfortable with you doing that's a, a, a big thing as well, because if, if someone keeps turning around saying, oh, you're anxious now, and you're not anxious, that's going to make you anxious. So it's it, it will, it'll just get worse and worse if you keep doing that. So you don't need to point out every time that, are you anxious? Are you, do you feel anxious this morning? You know, or, you know, um, you're, you sound a bit like, um, you sound a bit frustrated, you sound a bit annoyed, are you anxious? If you keep saying that to them, they'll start feeling anxious in the situations that you're talking about, which maybe they didn't do before that. So it's, it's again, look, it's complex, but it's, it's everybody will be able to find a way around these things because we know, I'm talking in vague, um, I'm talking in vague ways about people in general. You're, you're going to be thinking of a loved one, so you're going to know their... Um, you know, their habits and their manners and what's going to be different about them when they are anxiety or down or anxious or down, I should say. If you loved, sorry, if your loved one lacks insight into the anxiety, it's best to encourage them to see a professional. Yeah, remember, like, you are not a professional. Unless you are a professional. <laughs> you might. Yeah, I have to remember I'm actually talking to some few people, so maybe you are a professional. But if you're not a professional and the anxiety, if they are not aware of what makes them anxious um then it's best yeah that they go see someone about it it's not going to help if if you're just trying to point out to them every time they're anxious because they'll they will be co- um you the what you do not want them to, to happen to them obviously is for you to start making them anxious because you keep talking about their anxiety in different places where they're not anxious if you, if that makes sense um Help them to temper their thinking. That's four, that's four T's in a row there. Alliterative. Um, it's not good for my speaking patterns this morning. It could be useful to educate yourself about cognitive behavioral models of anxiety, which you can do by reading or attending a therapy se- a therapy session a therapy a therapy session with your loved one. This episode is going to be the one where I'm just going to title the one where Derek can't couldn't speak correctly. So yeah. It, that's hugely dependent on the person. If you, uh, if the person is comfortable with you coming to one of their uh, therapy sessions, by all means go because you will, like it says there, the cognitive behavioral models that uh, therapists use or psychologists use, or obviously CBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapies therapists use, then you it'll only benefit you um, and your partner, obviously, and the person who's going through it. But it'll benefit you and it'll make you feel more comfortable in what you're trying to do. And that's usually important because you have to feel as comfortable as the person you're caring for. So um, anxious people tend to think about worst case scenarios. Help them get perspective on this by using a cognitive therapy technique by asking three questions. Um, What's the worst that can happen? What's the best that can happen? Turn the page. What's more realistic or likely? So it co- it comes down to the the idea of the idea of uh, catastrophizing again where um a lot of people who are anxious are going to immediately go to what's the worst that could happen it's never going to be what's the best that can happen 
So that that first question you were uh, you asked the person is going to be easier for them to answer. So what's the worst that can happen when I'm in the shop and trying to buy a, a liter of milk? Okay. So what my way of thinking would be, I go into the shop, I'd reach into the fridge, I'd get the milk out, I'd start feeling anxious, I'd walk to the counter, um, a panic attack would come on, I'd drop the milk, the milk would burst, the people, uh, everybody stop and and looking at me. Uh, you know that that's the worst that could happen so what's the best that could happen the best that could happen is you could go into the shop you could get your milk you go up to the counter you'd say hello to the person behind the counter and um, they'd scan your item take your money give your change and you walk out that's the best that could happen um what's more realistic then that's the third question or what's more realistic or likely probably the second really because for the worst to happen it's it's a lesser event, if you know what I mean. How many times in your life have you gone in to buy milk and you've just gone in without anything happening? Um, nobody dropped anything. You were grand. You just went up, bought it, and left. So that's what's more realistic or likely. So when you talk to someone like that, you can change their uh, behavioral pattern, pattern, what they're thinking. And that can only help in those small things that they're going to have to start. What I had to start from the start was to go through town on a bike to eventually stop in and buy a cup of coffee, cup of tea, sorry, buy a cup of tea somewhere. And then I had to like open a conversation with someone, whether it was in the light, uh, you know, the, the the person, the librarian or someone who worked in the shop or whatever. These was his, this was Kevin, my, my therapist's way of showing me that uh, real, the, the real life events were just were just life they weren't involving anxiety they didn't involve any anxiety they were just things that you did every day until you became unwell you did every day without a thought and now when you were out there in the world with anxiety you you might be feeling a little bit anxious but the things that are happening to you are the realistic side of it they're not the side of it where you're thinking everything's going to be bad and turn to crap and you're going to have a terrible day because of it so there that's huge is, is to is to is those three questions and try to get that into into people's minds um take care not to overly reassure your loved one um it's more useful to empathize their or sorry empathize <laughs> uh emphasize their coping abilities yes man how am i so bad at these words today it's see my terrible writing i'm writing it too small as well it's it's very annoying and i'm and I'm, this is a good episode i think it, it's it's gone look i should have asked these questions what's the worst that could happen what's the best that could happen anyway um yeah emphasize their coping abilities don't be constantly reassure them that everything's going to be all right. That's hugely important as well. Obviously, don't. This is it'd be grand. It'd be grand. It'd be grand. Someone telling you that all the time is going to actually make it worse because, like, you'll turn against them in the sense you'll go, "What? How would you know it's going to be grand?" So, because that's where your mind is, and it's in a negative, um, um, a negative mode. So it's useful to to talk about what they can their their ability to cope, and in the sense that. Everything's going to be grand. We were here yesterday. You went into the shop. You bought your milk. You came out and it was fine, wasn't it? Well, it's going to be grand today. So it's you're telling them that they have the abilities to cope with this stuff because they've done it before. But just don't 
re- overly reassure them. Don't do, don't overdo it. Just make sure that you say it. You only have to say it once. It'll get in there. So just yeah, don't don't go mad on the on the you know the 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 reassurance. Um, it's actually it get, it can get not only can it get um, well it can it'll can become redundant really. Um, offer support, but don't take over. So that again, that's the thing that I talked about with with depression. It's it's a, uh, you know, you don't 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 feed the sufferers avoidance of things by helping out or taking over because then they'll never get better. If you don't let them go into the shop and buy their milk, if you just keep doing it, they're not going to be able. They're going to rely so much on you, um, that when they eventually have to do it, when you're not there for whatever reason, and they have to do it, they'll avoid it. Um, support means helping someone to help themselves. That's the, like I said, that's the whole point of it. It's, it's, um, guidance, reassurance, um, but at the same time, you've got to give them their, their, um, their little bit of space to, to work out what it is that's stopping them going in and buying that milk, you know. Um, I'm only using this as an, as an example. I'll keep using it because I'm not going to keep changing it or otherwise it'll only confuse things, obviously. Um, the exception of this is if somebody's anxiety is accompanied by severe anxiety, that'd be, I suppose that'd be like me at the start, really. Um, they may be so shut down that they might temporarily need you to help them do everything possible to keep them alive. And that obviously that goes, that's so, so important. Um, I wouldn't downplay that in any way that if, if it's needed, you can do everything they need to until they've, uh, developed the skills or they've done enough therapy where they've developed the skills to go about their own, um, you know, go about their own life and getting that thing sorted uh, if someone has a serious anxiety problem avoid stigmatizing them uh, panic disorders depression mixed with anxiety ptsd or obsessional thinking including eating disorders uh, may fear that they are actually going crazy help them uh, uh that's not the correct wording i wouldn't say um they may think that it's a like things like that is beyond their ability so uh, don't, yeah, don't stigmatize them. Don't be the one to, like I said earlier about the panic, uh, uh, panic attacks or anxiety and things like that. Do, do not put them in a box as such. They're capable of doing things. They're capable of doing some things and they're incapable of doing other things. Uh, for you to just not just shut them down because they're like, no, he can't do that or she can't do that. That's again, that's destructive. That's not helpful in any way. Um, you can still, you can, but you can still help them in the sense you can be. Uh, there could be reassurance, reassure them that they, um, your overall overall perception perception of them hasn't changed. Um, uh, they're still the same person. They're just suffering a temporary problem that has gone a little out of control. They aren't broken. You know, it ha- that's probably something that I needed and I was given um, by by people that I wasn't. This wasn't the end of it. This wasn't where I was going to. This is where my, my life wasn't going to stop at this point and just going to move in the sense of I'm not going to be do, able to do anything anymore and everybody's going to have to help me. Um, try to help them stay connected to positive aspects of their identity by taking part in their interests and hobbies. You know, again, it's just being involved, um, asking them, to, you know, I'm really into films. So if someone comes to me and says, oh, do you want to watch a film? I'll pick one out there. That for me is class because it's it's two hours of me being able to watch a film but being able to watch it with someone i enjoy spending time with who's in who's ha, has shown an interest in what we're um gonna do that's massive if someone has agoraphobia or an eating disorder but their condition is long-term and stable 
you can be accepting of that person so they don't feel isolated. Being matter-of-fact about the limitations without excessively shaming them or insisting they should pursue become becoming normal again. Again, it, go, it, it, all, it all goes back to that whole thing of just reassuring them and not, you know, it you can be matter-of-fact about it. See, be, being matter-of-fact about their limitations without excessively shaming them in the system, they should pursue, become normal again. That's, that's good, being matter-of-fact about it. It's like, ah, well, you can't do it now, but you'll be able to do it again. You know, I have a, I have a, my younger brother Simon is like that. It's like he he he's very much in this in in the uh, the mold of yeah. Well, you can't do nothing, but it's grand. Like in the you know, it it does give you that little bit of a kick to kind of go. No, he's right. Yeah, like it's okay to be all. It's okay to feel unwell now, but you won't always feel like this. And the way he does it in the, in the kind of matter of fact way is 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 endearing and it and it's great and something sometimes I really need it. You know. And then again, the last point comes back to what I said in the last point about the um, depression is take care of yourself too. Your goal is to help, not to cure that person or to relieve them from their anxiety. Taking too much responsibility is a symptom of, of anxiety, so don't fall into that trap. Again, you'll only go down the own, your own world, wormhole of that if you uh, if you continue um, to you know ha- to go overboard. You know you're just there to help and facilitate it. Um, try to look after each other by being active walk cycle yoga together um, a walk and talk again is mutually beneficial for both of you get out and have a walk you'll have a chat along the way you won't even if you don't like walking you're not going to feel it the the, the time go when you're chatting and keeping those legs moving Um, never feel that you aren't helping remind yourself that you're doing the best you can that again that goes out to the person who asked me to talk about this it goes out to Everybody who's helped me, and it goes out to the people who are out there helping others uh, through uh, mental health difficulties. Yeah, you're doing the best you can, um, and you do not know, and you probably will never know how important it was to the person um, you're caring for. So, what helped me? I think these are obviously they're notes I took, but they're not from. These are from my own head. So, patience. I was never pressured by my parents or my friends. Um, while I put myself under pressure, not a single person made me feel that I was holding things up. Anxiety and depression is a long process, so patience is hugely important. Love and support. My ideas on how to tackle things were never bottled away. Sorry, <laughs> here I go again. My ideas on how to tackle things were never batted away. I was always remembered in situations. I faced families and friends members. What? <laughs> oh, if I was into editing, this whole episode would be chopped up. But this is my writing again. My idea on how to tackle things were never batted away. I was always remembered in situations I faced and friends and family members were always willing to go out of their way to help me. God, got there. Uh, silence slash trust. It's very difficult for a loved one who needs to give some space and time alone to somebody with suicidal ide- ideations. Trust has to be established first. I know it was hard at the beginning for my mother, especially when I missed a call or worse again, two calls in succession. She's panicked when I missed them because I had put, not put in her head, but because of, of the suicidal ideation and, and, and things like that, that if I missed a call or missed two calls on the phone, she'd be immediately thinking I should ring Anne because maybe he's dead. And that that's that's a natural thing. That's just, it's not, that's not just my mother being someone who worries that's that's actually a natural thing for people to think is oh, well if he's not answers phone he always answers his phone he's dead that's people what people do catastrophizing uh when it was time for me to try and get myself out uh, out there my friends really stepped up to the plate 
They facilitated my re-entry into social activity and nudged me into coffee shops when I was humming and hawing, hawing about it. It was just that uh, s- slow and steady kind of thing, you know. Let's ease me back into it. And it, it worked an awful lot. And I'm very um, grateful to those people. Um, to be treated the same is a huge thing as well. I opened up about all of my difficulties about four years ago. So when I made friends or joined Fusion, I had no qualms about telling people. Not once was I made to feel different by anyone. I'm given a voice like everyone else in there and slag just like anyone else. We all want to be and feel compelled to be part of a pack and the acceptance into one meant an awful lot to me. Yeah, that that, go, that goes out to my friends, but it also obviously goes out to the the people in, in Fusion uh, who, who made something like that very... Uh, an easy transition it was very difficult the first few sessions but an easy transition and i'm just part of the team now doesn't matter i remember when, i remember i was all i, I always bring my because i take my medication at the same times every evening so i always bring them in my my glasses case when i go into training and i remember one of the younger lads turned around to me and said what are those um what are those tablets for and you know what it was my mind immediately went to uh, to think i was going to say oh they're just like vitamins or whatever but i just turned around and said oh i've got anxiety and a bipolar and he was just like he was just like, all right, Grant. And you know, you know, this the, this is the thing we we think that these people are just going to go, oh Jesus, and, and back away from us. They don't. So you're accepted by people, and you just you just have to remember that that's the case. It's not they're not going to back away from you. And if they do, you know, maybe maybe they're not the right people or the right person for you. You know. So, um, Jer, I'm going to get to your second part of the question next week. If that's cool, the uh, foreign language directors, um, it, it's good because it means I have some of next week's questions or next week's episode written already, which is, is fine. I, I just want to talk about this. I, it's It was just something that it didn't upset me or didn't annoy me. It just played on my mind a little bit for a while. We, I spoke to John about it as well, and we got our first negative uh, comment. It was, it was a few weeks ago, to be fair. And um, I wasn't upset or annoyed about it like that, but I was just kind of going... It just, it, it was, I don't know, it was playing on my mind, I suppose. Um, it was to do, I, I had mentioned uh, Donald Trump, and of course, somehow that always brings um, people out. I mentioned Trump and Johnson, and, and this person said that I was uninformed, and I wasn't reading the right news, or watching the right news, and that the thing about Trump was wrong, what I said. So, you know, that's their opinion, that's good. Uh, I wasn't going to make a big issue of it. It's a mental health health podcast. I certainly wasn't going to get in a war of words with with someone on the bottom of her YouTube page. I deleted the comment. Um, I probably shouldn't have deleted the comment because it's his right. It's the guy's right to say it. But like I said, it it, it was it was a reactive thing on his part, and you know it, it it's it's fair enough. So I have to you know it's like realizing that the difference in politics are there. You know, um, I I guess. <laughs> I kind of want to go into it a little bit, but I don't want to. I don't want to upset anyone. It's not. It's not my job. He, he said he was enjoying the podcast up until that, and you know, I obviously I wasn't watching enough Fox News or something that I didn't have a a, a, a fair and balanced opinion on it. Which is, you know, it's one thing. But I was up this morning, and I was uh, before I came on the podcast, started the podcast, and I was watching some certain things and. I saw this thing about yesterday with Trump, Donald Trump did a press conference. So he's doing it. They're they're doing the coronavirus press conferences daily, and he has doctors there and people to talk about it and whoever's there. He and he posted this video or posted. He put up this video. He dimmed the lights in the in the in the room and he put on the video. And networks cut away from it because the whole fact is it's a it's a it's a coronavirus 
um, press conference, he put up what was essentially a, a, um, a, a, what are they called, when politics, you know, are, are running ads for their campaigns. Campaign ads, that's what they're called. So it, they he put it up and he it was essentially, uh, he was rewriting a bit of history. He was suggesting that the, the mainstream media, as it's called, was wasn't reporting or wasn't taking the coronavirus seriously during January and February but he was now that we we can all agree that that that's that is his like that's that's rewriting history he wasn't taking it seriously I mean there's press conferences where he wasn't taking it seriously so obviously it annoyed me and I switched it off and I said oh can't 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 get involved in that because that's I don't I don't agree with Donald Trump if I was living in America I wouldn't vote for him but I'm not living in America so look if this person wants to put up a negative view of what I'm saying again, that's fine. But I, I, I'm. It's, it's my name. Wheatley is in the podcast name, so I'm, I'm, I'm allowed to voice my opinion from time to time. But what I wanted to get through from that was, was about, um, was about social media. Now we all know how we treat social media. Um, we all know that it's if we're looking at it all the time, it's not good for us, and that's understandable. Um, we're we're using it a bit more at the time uh, now because obviously we have more time in our hands. We're we're at home, um, and we're exposed to a lot more content, like the conspiracies about five G, lads. Come on, lads, you you can't. I saw a guy in a van, right? He was filming the, the queues in the on the N seven, and he was calling everybody like me and 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 the people who were following the guidelines calling us sheeple and that you know we were all just sitting at home while the coronavirus is a hoax you know i I, come on this is not this is not the time for that nonsense but then it it was a hoax and what it was a hoax for is they wanted everybody at home so they could roll out the 5g which was gonna wait wait till this thing is lifted and then when our kids go to school we'll be sending them to microwaves it's like you're making things way worse by um coming out with this stuff i watched the kind of it was a three minute video i watched till two minutes until he said i i'll be fine i'll be saved my by my lord jesus christ now you're entitled to believe in religion if you want to believe in religion religion but saying that you're going to be grand and ever be some reason everybody else isn't going to be grand is uh yeah i mean it's 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 something and the whole i even saw that like there was in the 5g towers people were saying that were that were spreading the coronavirus you know don't if this stuff is annoying you don't do what i did and watch it uh turn it off um make sure that like everything you're taking on board isn't negative like you know are things that leave you anxious or upset that's when it's time to put the phone or laptop away and it's okay to put the phone or laptop away don't go to bed feeling worried and upset because of something you saw online go to bed feeling all right read a book or watch some funny videos on youtube it doesn't have to be anything intellectual it can be anything you want on youtube that makes you feel good or anything that you want on tv that makes you feel good don't feel guilty about these things. Guilty pleasures. Who cares about guilty pleasures? They're just pleasures for you, all right? Um, if you want to... If someone is putting up all this stuff online on Facebook, we'll just go to Facebook, for example, but it can be for any social media um, site. You, like, the best button on, on Facebook is unfollow because it's that whole thing. You don't have to feel guilty about unfriending them. They don't know you don't follow them. Um, uh, click it off. You don't have to see their content that they're putting up stuff that's negative all the time. It is your account. Just like I said, this is my podcast. and uh, Myself and John have worked on this podcast for, for well, 11 episodes, but it's maybe 
maybe four months in total this is our podcast we can talk about you know this is a mental health podcast it's it's uh, the mental health most important thing but this is your it's your account you can do what you want with your account um if things are really causing you to worry then it is best to take a break or close your accounts it's not the end of the world and you will soon realize that you aren't missing a whole lot you really aren't you know you're missing what you know um what someone's star sign says about them you know is that the most important thing to worry about <laughs> in this time uh, you're not missing huge the same goes for youtube youtube is bad for sticking up recommendations or you know their algorithms don't always work correctly so you'll dip into something and you'll be like jesus what you know you'll watch i was watching this thing the other night and i i said it on the saturday live uh, podcast about joe rogan now i don't know how joe rogan's podcast is as popular as it is because even when he gets experts on he interrupts them anyway but i i don't think he's uh, i don't think rogan is is a positive influence in anything i one thing you you should never do is uh, from afar diagnose people, be it with physical or or mental um, health difficulties. Right, I saw him talking about Joe Biden the other day, and uh, whatever your things your feelings are on Joe Biden, and he said he's he was cognitively in decline. Now, Joe Biden is seventy eight. I think uh, I don't know if Joe Rogan knows it, but you know when you get up to that age, you are cognitively in decline. But the fact is, the way he was saying it, he was damning Biden. He was, he was saying that Trump would rip him apart in 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 uh, you know in a, you when they do debates. But Trump has a terrible time speaking. He's an awful diction. Um, he has very limited vocabulary. Like we're not going to put the two against each other intellectually or whatever. Um, you know, Biden comes out on top of that. I'm not voting for these people. But it just annoyed me that these guy Rogan. I don't watch Rogan or listen to Rogan, but his friend Brendan Schaub was on, and they were talking about the coronavirus. For I watched it for about five minutes, th- three minutes maybe, and I just felt so dumb watching it because Schwab was saying there'll be no f- f- cases of ro- coronavirus in May, and I was like, Jesus, imagine having that much confidence to t- talk that much shite. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, you cl- you know that's the other thing. You click one link about it. And YouTube will throw so much more content at it again. And if, if if it's making you anxious or depressed, please don't click it. Click on something funny or something silly um, or something cute or, you know, animal videos that you like. You know, I'll slag off people watching cat videos. I'm only joking. If you if, if cat videos make you feel good, you go for it. Um, the last thing on this, and this is the most important thing, is avoid the comment section. I couldn't avoid the comment made about the podcast. It came up on on John's um on our on our YouTube page, so John and I can could see it, and yeah, I couldn't avoid it. Um, I like I said, it it, it happened. It's fine. Um, people are entitled to their own opinions, but avoid um comment sections. They're full of bile and and a lot of hatred, and a lot of you know a lot of comments that are so over the top by trolls. That's where trolls hang out. Don't let trolls run ruin any part of your life just don't look at them turn it off everything's fine if you turn off your uh, laptop or your phone or whatever it's grand uh i could talk all day even though i'm i'm uh my my voc my <laughs> the way i'm speaking today is shocking i'm gonna write a lot clearer for next week actually i've already done a bit for next week and the writing is even smaller so we'll have a bit of fun with that anyway 
Close look, um, shout out to John and all the work he's doing. If you're friends with John, if you're friends with me and you're friends with John, you're listening to this podcast, please go and give to um, the charity he is collecting for because John is doing push ups 3,000 in the month. Some man, I hate push ups, I do. Um, he is up, I think he's up to 1,350 as I speak. Um, so he's getting there and he's listening to some Pantera and a bit of uh. Um, bit of bit of metal to get him through it, and that's the music you kind of need. Uh, shout out to his family and Megan, of course. Um, thanks to Jer, my mum, my dad, and my grandfather, who uh, we shone a light for my grandmother on uh, Saturday night. You know, people were shining lights for workers and stuff, and I sh- we shone a light for my grandmother who um passed away on the thirteenth of April in two thousand seventeen, and uh, we celebrated her life by by shining a light. Uh, we miss her terribly, obviously. Um, subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, please. We're trying to get the numbers up on that so we can get into other people's get into other people's algorithms that I was just giving out about. Um, Facebook is the weekly weekly, Instagram is weekly the weekly, and Twitter is the week. Oh no, sorry, Twitter is weekly underscore there. We are on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Yeah, once again, thank you everyone for tuning in. Thank you to my friend who who asked me to talk about the uh, the how to, to to care for a loved one. Um, listen, hang in there, um, and to your significant other, hang in there too. Um, thinking about you. Uh, thank you to Jer for asking the question about the directors, and as I said, I'll follow up for it on next week's show. Um, yeah, we we're, we we. Uh, we can't believe people are still listening. Still, people people are still play, paying attention. It's great. Uh, I hope everybody has a good laugh at how I can't speak this week. Um, so look after yourselves uh, in lockdown. We'll keep it going. And uh, yeah, mind yourselves. Bye.